Well, it's great to have you here today. Uh, again, my name is John, and uh, if I haven't met you uh, yet, I hope to. And uh, we pray that you feel welcome here, that you feel at peace, that you feel uh, right at home. And uh, today, we are going to be continuing with our journey through the New Testament as a part of our year of the Bible. And we've spent some time in Corinthians the last two weeks, and now we're moving into Galatians, which James just read for us. And the series we're calling Letters to the Church, and we're looking at these, these letters that are a part of our scriptures, uh, that uh, the early leaders of the church are, are writing to these churches in, in cities, in, in regions. And so today we're going to be looking at Apostle Paul's letter to the church of Galatia, which is actually more of a region than just a city, and Galatia is more so in what we would call modern-day Turkey. And so Paul's writing to these churches, different churches that are springing up, in this region. And if you, if you think about the purpose of these letters, don't think about this as just as a book. Think about it as a letter that you would receive in the mail in a personal way from somebody that wants you to know these truths. If you think about the purpose of these letters, they were written to a specific church for a specific purpose and probably read out loud uh, to a gathering of people like this and uh, read out loud to a gathering so people could hear, uh, which is actually one of the reasons that we have these Bibles available uh, underneath the seats for you every single Sunday. It's our hope that, that everyone would have this in their hands. And I was, I was thinking about this this week. I was thinking, how great would it be if every single person who walked through those doors every single week for worship brought a Bible with them? Maybe not because they bought it by themselves. Maybe they took it here from church, which we totally encourage you to do. These are for you. And how much greater would it be that everyone who walks in would have a Bible that is torn, that, that people have a, a Bible that's just that's, that's tattered and that's opened and that's creased and that's bent and that's underlined and that's highlighted because we've been doing this already throughout the week. And then what we do here on Sundays, when you crack open that Bible here at worship on Sundays, that's just the explanation point to your week, right? You've already been doing that all throughout the week. And there's scriptures, if you flip over your bulletin that you get every Sunday, there's scriptures that you can be reading along with. It's almost like we, what, if, what it would it look like if we came to worship every week and when we opened up God's word, we expected it to speak to us, right? It seems a little ridiculous. Why wouldn't you have a Bible in front of you every week as we're listening to the scripture reading, as we're listening to the message, as you're going throughout your worship experience? God wants to say something to you today. God is always speaking. God is still speaking. And so it's kind of ridiculous not to participate in that. If God wants to say something to you, he has a whole lot of things that he wants to say to us today. So um, that's my prayer, that we would come here on Sundays uh, with our Bibles tattered and worn, expecting to hear from God. And so uh, if you could, in, in that spirit, open your Bibles with me, if you're not already there, to, to Galatians chapter 5, where Jane uh, read for us, and uh, we're going to start at verse 16, uh, what we're going to be looking at today. And this is towards uh, the end of Paul's letter. And so as it, t- it turns out, uh, Paul is wrestling with some of these questions and speaking to some of the concerns in the church of Galatia. And as it turns out, the questions that we, and I'm sure that all other churches uh, that are still wrestling with, are the same questions that the church of Galatia is wrestling with, the same questions that Paul is addressing in this letter. And today, that question is centered around what exactly does it look like to see change in our lives? What does it look like? How do we produce fruit in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit? How do we grow? What does that look like? And so starting in verse 22, we read this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And now the reality is, I believe that for every single one of us here today, maybe you've heard that before, uh, that verse before, maybe you haven't, but I believe that for every single one of us here today, we would say that we want to grow, right? I doubt there's anyone here today that you didn't come here today because you say, I want to stay where I'm at in my Christian walk. Every single one of us wants to grow. We want to produce that kind of fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, and the rest, in our lives. We wouldn't be here if we didn't want to. Now the question might be whether you know exactly how to grow, or maybe you just feel far away from God lately and you don't know where to start. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're just saying, you know what, I just feel really distant from God lately. I'm not producing the kind of fruit that I would like because I don't have that intimacy with him. I don't have that connection. And I think what we all do have have in common is is the fact that the Spirit produces that kind of fruit, and I, I can guess that every single one of us in that sense would want a fruity kind of life, right? Okay, good. I wanted to make sure we're on the same page. And yet, regardless of how you're feeling this morning, I want to encourage you that I have seen these things so evident in your lives as individuals and more so evident as a part of our church community these last weeks. And so I know that this fruit exists out there. And so I'm just, I'm wondering uh, if we can just walk through this. And I want to show you the fruit that's popping up here in our church. And so I've definitely seen lots of love. Lots of love happening in our church. Here, Wow, that's really shiny. I might have to eat that one. But also a lot of patience. Not patience, peace. That's right, peace in the midst of... I need a little help there. Peace in the midst of our difficulties, but even in the midst of difficulties, you have so much joy. You have so much You have so much joy in, in, in the way that you worship and you exist together as a as a community and, and but there also has been lots of patience. There's definitely been lots of patience. We have to have that with each other. Bananas are tough to throw. And uh, and but also also very important is kindness. Many of you really have that How did I know that was going to happen? Check your shoes when you leave today, please. But also, definitely goodness. There's just so much good... Carter from the back, Kiwi. Those aren't cheap. And, and, uh, but also, gentleness. It's just an incredible thing to offer to each other. It's hard. It's an incredible thing to offer... Yeah, you can grab a few if you want, that's fine. But also... And when you think about it, one of the most difficult fruits, that's fine, John, we can leave the rest of them. One of the most difficult fruits that we have um, to, to, to really grasp onto and to hold is self-control. <laughs> Whoops. Self-control, so thank you, sir, for not throwing that one. <laughs> Appreciate that. Self-control. So we have all this fruit, and, and, and I, I know that, that not one of us would say, I don't want a fruity kind of life. I don't want, I, I, that, that's the kind of life that I desire. I want those things springing forth from me. Who wouldn't want that? But I think if we're honest, if you're like anything like me, and you start to take some of these fruits, okay? So we've got, yes. Oh, what did we forget? Faithfulness. David, you're so faithful. Thank you. Appreciate that. So we've got, uh, we've got love and we've got 
Remember what this one was? Joy. And we've got all these other fruits. And so you start to think about that and then you start to put your name in front of those. We all desire that kind of life. But then I kind of start to put my name in front of them and I start to think, John is loving. John is filled with joy. John is patient. John is gentle. John has self-control. Maybe not all the time. And maybe you can relate to that, that sometimes you see this in your life, but other times you don't. And so the question that I want to center our time on this morning is more so, how do we get there? How do we get to the point where those fruits are naturally springing up out of our life? How do we walk in the spirit, as Paul talks about in Galatians, more so on an everyday basis? We can come here on Sunday and I can preach at you. I could preach at you for 10 hours about the fruit of the spirit. Is that going to, is that going to produce the fruit of the spirit in you? Maybe this is something that we need to look at. How do we live this out on an everyday basis? Basis. How do we produce that kind of fruit? Well, I think there's a few main things that we can learn from this scripture today in Galatians, but also from some of Paul's other writings. So we're going to be hopping around in Paul's letters uh, today. So hang with me here, all throughout the New Testament. So first of all, it's important that we ask this question. What is it that God is really after in our lives? When's the last time you asked that question? What is it, and put your name in there for blank, for me, What is God's desire for John's life? What is God's desire for your life? What is God's priority? What is God's focus in your life? And it's easy to be confused and easy to start to think, well, maybe it's that, oh, I've heard this somewhere, God wants us to be happy, right? That's God's main priority for my life, is God wants me to be happy, God's, God's focus is, is that, and God, God would never, he would never ask me to, to change or to, to, to rearrange my life or, or even in, inconvenience my ambitions that I have at work or school. Or, God would never ask me to change the habits that I have at home, right? Because he wants me to be happy, and that would hurt. That would be difficult to change. Well, as you probably know, living life with that illusion is going to lead to a lot of great disappointment in your life. In the book of Matthew, Jesus reminds us, if anyone would come after me, he must, what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny? Sacrifice? Give up my agenda? Not exactly a walk in the park, is it? But if we look a a little bit deeper, it's a walk that leads to a much deeper joy, one that's found in surrender. Of course, yes, happiness. God desires that. But it's got to be deeper than that, right? Well, others would answer that question, what's God after in my life? What is God's desire in my life? Um, Others would say, hmm, well, all this fruit sounds good. It sounds like God's desires to make me nice just a really nice guy, right? And then you can wear one of those badges at work. God's desire is that he just makes us into really nice, moral people, right? God wants us to be good and and gentle and have self-control and just relax and be safe. Don't do anything too crazy. Now, I don't know about you, but 
that doesn't fulfill the deep longing in my soul. If I went to a worship service and the pastor said, Our, your, God's desire for you, the number one priority for your life, is we want to make you a bunch of nice people, and my heart would just leap with joy. No, not really. There's something missing. And, and if you think about it, I, there, there's no reason that that would make sense because I, it, it'd be like I give my life to you, Jesus, and thank you so much that, that you're my savior and that you were nailed to a cross and that you died on the cross and you rose again and defeated the power of sin and death in my life so that I could be nice. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. That's not worth giving my life for. That's not something that I can get up and be a part of every single day. Of course, we want to be nice, but still, there's got to be something more. So if you're keeping score at home, meaning the back of your bulletin, this is an important point to remember, number one. This is big, huge, ginormous, important point to remember, and maybe even write down number one. In the end, what God is after in our lives is our transformation. Say it with me. Transformation. One more time. Transformation. What God is after in our lives is to make us into a new kind of person, a different kind of person, one controlled by the Spirit. As Paul tells us uh, earlier in the New Testament in the book of Romans 8.29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. God's desire is to make you more and more like his Son to make you more and more like Jesus, even if it inconveniences you, even if it's painful at times, even if it's difficult, even if the cross that he asks you to bear seems heavy and there's splinters in it at times, and you're saying, I don't want to do this. That's God's purpose in your life that leads to a greater kind of joy, not just happiness, not just being nice. And if you think about it, Jesus, the person of Jesus, is our perfect example for producing fruit. Jesus is our perfect example to say, I want, okay, how do I walk in the Spirit? I'm following Him. I'm not just reading about Him. I don't just know about Him. I know Him, and I'm walking with Him, just as the disciples did. I'm watching Jesus, and I'm modeling my life after His. But one of the greatest misunderstandings about God's work in our lives is that when someone comes to to place their trust in Jesus and what a glorious, beautiful moment that is, Jesus, you are my savior. I believe that you died for my sins. I, I, I give my life to you. The misunderstanding that we believe is that somehow you're just zapped with all these new characteristics, right? Almost like you're put in this microwave that's just full of the spirit and we stick in there for about a minute, the quick minute setting, and you just stick it in there and boom, the fruits of the spirit are springing out of your life. That's a misunderstanding that we have. But instead, Paul is telling us that our lives in Christ are less about getting zapped right away with being a moral person and and with lots and lots of maturity. Paul is saying that our lives in Christ are much more like a process. A process of transformation, almost like a tree. We see this illustration all throughout scripture. It's a process of growth. It's a process of transformation. It's almost like a tree that gets planted in a willing heart and it's nurtured by teaching and instruction. It's watered by the truth of God's word. It's rooted in a strong identity of who it is. It's tested through trials. The winds and the rains come. And then very naturally, eventually, in time, it produces fruit. It's this, this process, this growth process.
process of transformation of not only believing that the Holy Spirit exists in our lives, but letting it change us, letting the Holy Spirit lead us, letting it be the director of our lives, letting it call the shots for us. But what we see in our scripture today is that this process, this growth, as we compare ourselves to a plant that grows or a tree that grows or a fruit that grows, this process of transformation in our lives is not a quick and easy transformation. In fact, it's opposed. And so let's look at verses 16 and 17 from our scripture in Galatians. I think it's up on the screen. Let's read this together, 16 and 17. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. One of the basic foundations of our faith is that our old selves, our sinful nature, our flesh, has been crucified with Christ. We, what, who we used to be was taken to the cross with Jesus and nailed there with Jesus, died, and because Jesus lives, we have new life as well. And yet, even though God's calling us to live in this new life, our old self, our flesh, still exists. And it likes to rear its ugly head up once in a while and wants to control our lives. And we've all been there, right? We've set our mind to change. We say, this is the kind of person that I'd like to be, but I don't know how to get there. And maybe you try and you try and you try and, and finally you have a, a moment, a, a moment of, of, uh, of victory and, and you're saying, this is who I want to be and I did it and I got there and I had victory in my life in that area and then the very next moment you turn around and it feels like you te- take two steps back in the, in the other direction. Every, anybody ever been there? You take one step forward only to take two steps back? Why is that? What is that? Well, Paul puts it this way. You don't have to flip there, but this is from Romans chapter 7. This is Paul, the same guy that wrote Galatians. And Paul says this, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin, it is the old self, it is the flesh living in me. And so Paul is almost asking us here, hey, church, can you identify with me here? (laughs) Am I the only one that struggles with this? We've all been there, right? Why do I do what I don't want to do? I know the kind of person that God is calling me to be, but I turn right around the other direction and do something else. Maybe you've been there. You're on your way to a party, gathering people, friends, and you know that when you get there, everybody's going to be in a good mood, but you're not in a good mood because just before you get there, you get in an argument with your spouse, right? At the most inopportune time. Maybe it's on your way to church. Maybe that's happened for some of us here this morning. You're on your way to church. You're on your way to a party. uh, And you get into an argument with your spouse. And there's very little fruits of the Spirit going on. And you're just fuming inside, right? Tempers are high. You just can't let go. You want to hold that grudge. And then you get out of the car. You walk, fine, we'll just suck it up. And we'll go and we'll put on our happy face. And you get out of the car and you walk up to the door. And your friend opens the door. And they're like, hi, how are you both? And you're like, fine, we're great. No, you're not. There's a war going on inside you, isn't there? Have you been there? Now it's this me. And now it's this me. 
And then later you admit, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. And you say something to the effect of, you know, I just wasn't myself. Right? It's almost like you're a totally different person. So there's an old you and a, a new you that both want control, and that's just one example, but sometimes the choice is much more serious than just being loving or angry in your relationships, but sometimes the person that we choose to be, the the old self that we choose to walk in, tears other people down. Sometimes the old self that we choose to walk in destroys trust. Sometimes the old self that we choose to walk in and the flesh comes out and it starts to speak words that have wounded those people that we love the most. Sometimes the flesh and and, and that spirit comes out and, and we're walking in that and the old self and sometimes it tears apart relationships. If, if we keep going down that path and there's no repentance and forgiveness in our lives, we keep going down that path and some of you have been there and you're wondering how I've really gone way too far down that path. I've hurt a lot of people in my life and I'm just wondering how do I turn that around? And this brings us to the second big, honking, gigantic, important idea to remember and write down. And that's that there is a battle inside every single one of you as to who's going to get to be in charge of your life, who's going to be your director, who's going to call the shots, God's spirit or your old sinful nature. And so faced with this battle that we have, I believe we often respond in two very, very different ways that produce very different results. The first of which is the always popular attempt of just try harder. Just be a better person. If you just try harder, you'll change. And then you'll walk in the spirit. So during the week, I have the opportunity to talk to a lot of different people in their homes and out to eat and for lunch and restaurants and coffee shops. And some of them are from Hope and some of them aren't from Hope. And, and uh, some of them I know, some of them I don't know. And some of them I just get into conversation with, whether it's at you know, Caribou or Mars Cafe, and we're just sitting there. And I get into conversations with people. And eventually we end up usually talking about some of these very same things that we're talking about today, maybe with a different, little bit different language instead of, you know, my, my sinful nature and the flesh. I don't usually open the conversation with that. But sometimes it leads to that. And the conversations usually end up going towards, how are things with God? How are things going in your relationship with God lately? How is your walk with him? And I can tell you that by far, by far, the most prominent theme that I hear over and over and over again, no matter what the struggle is, is, I'd like to change. I would really, really, really like to change. I would like to live differently, but I keep failing. By far, everything revolves around that. Whether it be a relationship, or finances, or something at work, or anything. And the conclusion is, I guess, that we come to is, well, I guess that's just the way it is, right? Maybe I can't change. Maybe I don't have the power to change. In fact, I was just with a guy the other day who was sharing about some struggles he was having. He was being very honest with me. And he was, and all the ways that he'd tried to be better and better and better, and, and then he'd fail. And he didn't want to try anymore to fix this, this area of his life because every time that he failed, he just felt more and more guilty. And what was startling to me is about halfway through the conversation, he goes, oh, yeah, John, 
couple weeks ago, I became a Christian. And then he goes on, and I just feel so guilty, and I just feel so ashamed, and I just don't know if there's any hope, and, and I, just, I just feel really stuck in my life, and, and I don't want to try anymore, because every time I try, I just fail, and when I fail, I just feel more and more guilty. And it just seemed very strange to me that it seemed like becoming a Christian had just given him more things to feel guilty about. It seems like Jesus had something else in mind. And he went on to tell me that he had shared this with some friends, and they said it was probably because you, you weren't reading the Bible enough. Yeah, that's it. Or, or oh, no, no, I bet it's because you're not praying enough. You need to do that. You need to get up a little bit early and pray more. That, that, that should fix it. Oh, no. no, 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 no. Really, it's because you're not spiritual enough. You need to kind of get your act together in that way. You're not spiritual enough. And he went on and on and on and on with all these different things they told him to do. And so basically, if he would just do more, especially more Christian things, God would be happy with him. Almost like the, the more and more guilt we feel, that, that, that that'll be our motivation to change. If we, just, if we just load people with the law, if we just load people with guilt and shame, and if you feel really, 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 really guilty, you'll want to change. Right? Maybe not so much. I don't know if that's how it works. I'm going to invite uh, Nick up here. Nick's going to help me out with something. Nick, I got you a brand new backpack to go back to school in. I don't like that. No? I don't want to go back to school. So we'll kind of keep it open, keep it open like this. And Nick's going to wear this backpack. So we're just going to pretend that Nick was my friend in the coffee shop, even though he wasn't. Jesus' greatest anger was reserved for religious leaders who weighed people down with guilt and shame. And so out of the proffer, I bought... We're going to send you back to school, Nick. So Jesus actually says in the Gospels to a group of Bible teachers and scholars that think they have it all together, you experts in the law, oh, we'll save that one for last, you experts, and kind of turn to the side here, you experts in the law, you load, you load people down with burdens that they can hardly carry. You load people down with guilt and shame and condemnation and you tell people more more just try harder and that's going to bring change in your life that will make you a righteous person you woe to you religious leaders for you load people down with burdens that they can hardly carry and you don't even lift a finger to help them. How's that feel, Nick? A little heavy. You ready to go off to school? No. Do you want to sit for the rest of the service with that? Not really. That'd be kind of uncomfortable. Okay, I'll take it off you. <laughs> give, give Nick a hand. <laughs> Woe to you, teachers of the law, for you load people down with all this religion. But we know that that doesn't work any better than telling a brand new medical student to go perform open heart surgery. And if they mess up, just say, well, maybe if you just try harder, that'll fix it. There's a teaching. There's a refining. There's instruction that needs to be shown to show them how to do it differently. How to live 
differently, not just more and more and more and more. How do we do it differently? And maybe that's what Jesus had in mind. Instead, the first Christians insisted that when we become Christians, a profound change occurs in our identity, in who we are at the very core of our being, before we are anything else. The first Christians were convinced that identifying with Jesus in his death on the cross, something dies within us. And then Paul writes to us, interestingly enough, in Colossians, very close to Galatians, Paul writes to us in Colossians, we have been raised with Christ, and in his life, we have new life. We take on the identity of Christ. And so when God looks at us, he doesn't see the sin that lives in us. He doesn't see the dirty, rotten scumbags that we sometimes are. He sees purity. He sees Christ. Paul goes on to say, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Paul and the early Christians believed something so transformational was happening that when you became a Christian, it wasn't just about believing something new. It was about being remade into a new kind of person. It's not that we aren't perfect now or that that you and I are never going to struggle again, but it's that that old person is going to probably come back from time to time. But when it does, we admit it, we confess it, we admit that it's part of ourself, but we focus more on who God is than who we are and our weaknesses. It's that a new way of life involves a constant, intentional cooperation with the work that God is already doing in your life. To keep dying to the old so that we can live in the new. You are not your sin. You are not your weakness. You are not your limitations. When my anger problem rises up, the Spirit reminds me, John, that's not who you are anymore. It's not just stop it. Don't do that anymore. The Spirit reminds me ever so gently, but with power, John, that's not who you are anymore. There's some people that I've surrounded myself with in my life that I've asked me, that I've asked to call me out on things. To say, John, that's not you. And every single one of us struggles with this. And so my question for you, one of my questions for you this morning is, who in your life says, that's not you? Who have you let into your life deep enough that they know who you are and they know your story so much that they can say your name looking you in the eyes and say, never do that again. You know why? It's because I love you enough to say, that's not you. Do you have those kind of people in your life? As new creations, we are in Christ. God's view of us is Christ, and Christ is holy. That's why Paul Paul goes on to say in the book of Colossians, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, holy, not going to be holy someday, not wouldn't it be nice if you're holy, but instead we're just a bunch of, uh, we're just a mess. Holy means pure. Holy means unblemished, clean, holy, now, right now, where you are today. And it's not because sin isn't serious, 
but it's because I'm taking seriously who God says I already am. Our lives become more and more about the person we're becoming than about the person that we're leaving behind. Our lives become more about what we're for than what we're against. So the issue then for my friend and the issue for every single one of us is not beating ourselves up over everything that we're not or all the things that we're doing poorly. The issue is my learning who this person is that God keeps insisting I already am. So mark it down as big, important, huge truth to write down number three. It's about your identity. There is a person who God says you already are. And this process of transformation, this process of producing fruit in our lives, it is the process of learning to live like it's true. Not just knowing it, but living in it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. When you're an apple tree, you grow apples. Huh. When you're an orange tree, you produce oranges. When you're a healthy church, you produce disciples. When you're a healthy disciple that's living out of its identity, you produce fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Because I am loved, I am a friend, I am a child, I am a parent who goes the extra mile to love those people around me. Because I have been forgiven, I will let go of the need to be right and hold that grudge. Because I am valuable beyond worth, I don't have to go running away looking for significance or worth in my job or in my appearance or the people that I hang out with. Because God will never give up on me, I can be faithful to my spouse and to my kids even when it's difficult. No one had to convince you to try harder in any of those things. No one had to convince you to walk in the Spirit. It's who you are. God is committed to your transformation. And there is a battle going on in your heart between the old self and the new self, and we are learning as his disciples to walk in the new. And so as you walk in the Spirit this week, I pray that you would find fruit, fruit of the Spirit being produced in your life without even realizing it. Because City Branch is just who you are. It's who God says you already are. I believe that there's a lot of love, a lot of joy, a lot of peace, a lot of patience, a lot of maybe some kindness, gentleness, goodness. Faithfulness. And most of all, self-control. Let's stand. What are the incredible 
truths about the God that we have is that he says we can come to him anytime, anywhere, no matter how we feel, no matter how close to him we feel, and that we can come. We can come close to his heart and say, Abba, Father, Daddy, this is what's going on in my life. And so let's just spend some time just resting from our weeks, taking a deep breath, being still, and knowing that he is God.